and welcome to the second episode of the Movement Effect podcast. On today's episode, we welcome Leanne Osei, the head coach of the women's basketball team at St. FX University. She's also the founder of the Black Canadian Coaches Association and Canlates. Welcome back to the Movement Effect podcast. This is our second episode, and today we are welcoming uh, Lee Osei um, to our podcast. Um, she is a coach at St. FX for the um, men's basketball team, as well as a founder of um, Ken Let's and um, the BCCA. Uh, so Lee, we'd just like to both welcome you and uh, thanks for coming to uh, chat with us today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and talk movement. Okay, right on. Um, so Kevin, if you wanted to start us off, um, the floor is yours. Awesome. Yeah, Lee, um, just first tell us, tell us about you. Uh, for those that may not know or for those who do know but don't know, uh, I guess, the, the depth of what you're doing. Uh, I guess just give a quick overview. Awesome. So my name is Liana Osei. Many people call me Coach Lee. I was born and raised in Toronto. Uh, I, am of, <clears throat> I am of Ghanaian descent. And so my mother immigrated to Canada in her late teens uh, with a fourth grade education. And she was pregnant with my eldest brother. And uh, she came here to give her kids uh, a better opportunity. And so I'm kind of a manifestation of that, uh, of her continued hard work. Uh, so really passionate about my family. I'm really passionate about sport. Growing up in, uh, in, in an at-risk uh, neighborhood, it was something that I naturally gravitated towards instead of uh, maybe things that weren't as positive. Uh, and many of the mentors and inspirational people that I've crossed paths with in my life, I've met through sport. Um, and so uh, through this process, uh, I've been very passionate about movement, uh, but, but typically using sport as a way to uh, as a vehicle of sorts, I guess, for social uh, and educational um, advancements. And so that has led me to create two organizations, uh, one called Canleets uh, Sports, uh, so Canadian athletes, uh, and that is geared towards um, <clears throat> enhancing opportunities for young women primarily in the sport of basketball in Ontario. And more recently, I founded uh, the Black Canadian Coaches Association, uh, which is a not-for-profit organization that is devoted to uh, empowering and supporting black coaches and throughout that process advocating for athletes and other people of color or otherwise marginalized groups. Uh, I'm a former athlete myself, as I mentioned. So I played at Eastern Commerce, which was a kind of perennial basketball powerhouse, uh, now closed down, unfortunately, uh, in the Toronto area. And I started my collegiate career at the University of Miami uh, in Florida on an athletic scholarship. Fast forward, five years later, I finished my career at Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo, Ontario. And then I did a one-year master's, um, master's of Arts in History. I'm really passionate about research and that has kind of tied into my two initiatives and organizations that I run now. Awesome, amazing. And um, I guess you can dive deeper into Canleads. Uh, we'll talk about both organizations. Um, but I guess to start off, just dive deeper into Canleats, um, I guess the things that you've accomplished so far with it, and I guess what inspired it. Sure. So in 2012, I actually returned back from the States, and uh, I, was, I was set to uh, attend a four-year institution because I actually transferred out of my, my current school. And uh, things were kind of rough mm -hmm. at home, and so I decided to take a gap year uh, and to work. And the agreement I made uh, with my mother at the time was if I was going to work and help with some bills, I really wanted to be involved in the basketball scene. 
Um, now, fortunately enough uh, for me, I had played in a lot of really good teams, been exposed to a lot of really good coaching. So a lot of uh, families and, and parents and um, athletes, some older, some younger, knew uh, about my journey and, my, and about my process. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of pathways for basketball recruitment, for basketball development. Um, and I saw this as an as a area that I could really provide, uh, at the very least, some guidance through some of my experiences, some connections. And so um, I started kind of unofficially doing recruiting services. Uh, and at the same time, I started working with um, a lot of high performance uh, programs, such as uh, the Jewel League of Ontario, which is a under 19 um, girls basketball league. I started working with Ontario basketball more formally in some talent, uh, talent ID and, and targeted athlete programming. Uh, and then that led to opportunities with coaching with the provincial team. Um, and so through that, I, I, I realized that uh, particularly for kind of young women of color, um, there just was a lot of, there was a lack of education as to like, how do I go from here to there? Whether it's, I wanna play at the division one level, whether it's, how do I contact coaches? Uh, and so uh, I realized that in our landscape, there just wasn't enough that celebrated or that became, or that provided itself as a platform for girls basketball. And so that's how um, Canleets actually came to be. Um, I have a, a late brother that is no longer with us that actually gave me my first hundred bucks to start it. He strongly encouraged me uh, to, uh, to do something if I felt passionate about it. So it started as a passion project. Uh, now, eight years later, we've been able to run um, a lot of really good events, everything from all girls uh, basketball camps prior to the start of the school year, uh, to offering recruitment consulting to parents and families. Uh, each year we have a Shoot for a Cure uh, annual showcase game that features some of our top uh, prep school programs uh, and high school programs in the country, some of our national team athletes. Uh, and then we also run the only girls um, prep school showcase and high school uh, all-star game uh, annually. And that, that runs concurrently with Canada Basketball's ID camp uh, in December, typically that would be at Humber College. So um, I guess the vision for Canleeds is, is to continue to expand our, our brand and, and reach um, families and, and, uh, and athletes really of all ages. And so uh, we, we really wanna create this network where um, it's easier for these mentorship opportunities to take place. It's easier for recruitment to take place. Um, and then um, through that kind of connecting uh, these families and these athletes to different organizations. Uh, so it's been it's been an incredible journey so far. We actually incorporated as a not-for-profit this year, so that's kind of been a long time coming, and we're hoping to continue to expand. Excellent, Leah. Incredibly thorough. Um, so much, like really wealth of information, and it just shows the like diversity in your journey, like in terms of your education, your experience with basketball, taking that then to an organization that you can like give back and help grow a sport with a with a population that I think even now today deals with a lack of exposure realistically and some of the hurdles you were talking about a little bit so um, it's fantastic to see that progress being made and the fact that I'm sure there's been numerous people that have joined you along with the journey with so far even just at this point that have come along who are just as passionate as you. And it's so inspiring, I could imagine, for young girls to see a woman in your position, everything you've already done to date, and like that it's possible, it's achievable, and to have those um, 
not, I was going to say idols and icons, but just to have somebody in a role that like a mentor or somebody who's a role model like yourself, like, yeah, that's fantastic to see in here. But yeah, thank you for sharing that with us so far. That was yeah, great. Um, building with that, um, have you found that there has, you've experienced or had to, or you've encountered any um, like roadblocks or speed bumps along the way with either organizations or not naming any particular individuals, but just mm -hmm. things that have come up that you found were unexpected or that you did expect would be hurdles? Yeah, I think uh, like anything for the, prior to this year, we were largely just a community-based organization. So um, to your point, like we wouldn't be able to execute any of our projects without the, the support and, and devotion of parents, of volunteers. Actually, my former high school coach is our director for Canlates. So I think, um, I think the hardest part really has been in the event planning process, like securing a facility, getting officials paid, you know, like finding a way to end up with some kind of surplus so we could put it towards other things. Um, we certainly, uh, we certainly would, would be able to provide more opportunities if there was some support. I think it, I think it speaks to, um, in some cases, I think it speaks to a lack of maybe infrastructure through some of our provincial and our, and our federal kind of um, um, government supports that, that don't really recognize, um, you know, the, the groups that, that are servicing um, marginalized communities or underrepresented groups. Uh, so I think that's part of a bigger systemic problem. Um, but I would also argue that um, it, it, was, it was also on us to maybe do a better job at looking for opportunities. And, and I think it just came down to a question of, do we wanna focus our efforts here or there? And so uh, throughout the process, we've, we've been able to, uh, to get a lot of players uh, and families the support they needed and build some kind of sustainability from that. Uh, but like anything else, capacity is, is always what you're trying to build. And we have, uh, we've gone from a group of like two to a group of like six or seven that are running things. Uh, and so um, again, that support just, uh, it really does go a long way. Um, and I would say as a small business owner, just mentorship in that capacity, like running a business um, the right way is always something that we're always looking, um, we're always looking for support for. And I think there, there's many people out there who are more than willing to provide that support. Just maybe those pathways haven't been created. And that kind of ties in a little bit to what we're doing with the BCCA and, and what some of those outcomes are. And I think, um, and I think it, it does help organizations like Canleads, but more specifically, it's, it's going to be uh, transferable to all organizations. And, and as Reno was saying, I think, I think, as you said as well, like you started as a community based organization, but because of everything you've done through Canleads, um, people are seeing the showcases, seeing the events, and I think people are seeing it, you know, nationwide. Um, and it's encouraging girls to, you know, like females that are young um, to keep pushing so that they can get on that platform, but also females that are older um, and, you know, post-grad, post-graduate of universities to maybe start up something similar or to mentor uh, girls in a similar way. Um, but going off of, so you mentioned BCCA, so we want to get in that now. Um, so Black Canadian Coaches Association, can you dive deeper into that, the inspiration behind it, um, where you guys are at currently and the vision for the future? Absolutely. So there was an original uh, Black Coaches Association that was started 
um, I believe in the 90s in the States, it was, it was prominently, uh, it was, sorry, it was championed by prominent uh, football and basketball coaches of African-American descent. And their jobs were uh, more centered around advocating for jobs uh, for people of color, given that uh, the, the, the athletes at the division one level in, in specific sports that were bringing in a lot of money were all black, but uh, the coaches weren't reflected in that. Um, and so the US obviously being this multi-billion dollar industry, um, you know, you're really talking a lot about the economics um, here in Canada, our, our, our sport um, infrastructure is a lot different, of course, uh, but it doesn't mean that we don't have uh, those same issues. And so uh, much of my inspiration for, for the BCCA began uh, two years ago, actually, when I started my coaching appointment uh, here at St. FX, and I had experienced some um, challenges, um, given that I was an outsider coming from Toronto given that I was a first time female coach ever in our institution's um, history and we've been open since 1853. Um, and also being one of the few people of color, uh, the only uh, woman of color kind of in the Maritimes at the varsity uh, basketball coaching level. And um, certainly it's, uh, I, again, I talked about the, the old BCA, certainly it's something that has come up in a lot of coach circles, support circles, sports support circles. Uh, but nobody had ever really been like, let's let's actually do this. Uh, and so uh, a couple of years ago, I, I kind of started this running document on Google. And um, again, I just, I love researching things. I'm on the computer quite a bit when I'm not on the basketball court. And I started to look at, uh, look really critically at our, uh, at Sport Canada, at um, some uh, provincial mandates. I started to look at what organizations were out there that actually celebrated people of color in the sport industry generally. Uh, and so that was really thin. Uh, I think the Harry Jerome Awards were the only, was the only lar large scale organization that I could find at the time. And each year they actually have a BBPA kind of award show. And so I was kind of thinking about that. I was also looking at the, the gaps for pathways after sport um, engagement. Uh, so whether you're an athlete, whether you're someone that um, wants to officiate, whether you're someone that wants to start your own sport business, what kind of pathways are intentionally created for that? And so when I think of coach, uh, obviously right off the bat, you're thinking about sports specific coaches, but, but really coaches are educators, coaches are mentors, coaches are, are um, they're always inspiring others and encouraging others to be better. And so I guess the BCCA is, is, is sort of both, like that's how we kind of look at, a, a, at coaches. You can be a yoga instructor and be a coach. Um, you know, you can be, um, you can be a parent for the first time that is getting into coaching and you're looking for some support. Uh, and so uh, when, when, uh, when COVID hit at the same time as some of, uh, some of the larger kind of racial, uh, racial justice uh, calls to action uh, in the US as well as in Canada, I felt very compelled to, to, to create this platform where we could be very intentional about celebrating um, black people uh, in the media, and so uh, that kind of that kind of lent itself to creating a website. So I was like, you know, it takes it takes nothing to set, to celebrate one another, to to write feature stories, to try to connect one another. So one of our that's one of our objective, objectives is celebration, uh, and it's something that you know some of our well known athletes have been talking about, like a Donovan Bailey. It's one of his biggest complaints, right? It's like he's like I'm a however many years Olympian and you know, 
I've never received kind of due credit for it. And it's not to say like, hey, I'm beating my chest, but more speaking to um, are we being intentional with those uh, with with uh, with not just diversity in Canada, but inclusion and equity and what does that mean? Um, our second objective was advocacy. And this was more related to uh, not just the experiences that I have been through, but people that have come before me and whether it was uh, not being uh, provided uh, an equitable opportunity to, to, to coaching positions, whether it be at the university, college, or, or uh, national team level, um, whether it was advocacy in terms of social support. So um, we know now that there are so many coaches that have stepped away from the game. There's so many athletes that have stepped away from the game because of uh, different, different bouts of racial discrimination that they experienced, that they weren't able to look left and look right and have that support. Uh, and have people kind of stick up for them. Um, and so the advocacy piece, I think, is really is really big. And sometimes it's a form of a conversation, just being able to connect with someone that can understand where some of those challenges are. Um, but sometimes it's like the real tangible, we need to get a petition up because this person is being uh, is being wrongfully terminated, right? So there's there's a there's a big gap in the advocacy space for, I think, uh, black people in sport generally, but um, we had focused on more on that coaching on that coaching position, especially because we consider um, coaches like change agents, right? Like they play huge roles in the community. In Canada, there's less than a hundred professional coach positions. You know, there's there's 56 at the U sport level, and then however many coaching positions are at the pro level. And so what that means is there's thousands and thousands and thousands of amateur um, coaches, and how do they feel supported? Um, how are, how are they assisted? And you know, in the midst of a global pandemic, what does that mean for those uh, for those multiple athletes or sports engagement um, participants that would have otherwise been able to go to a local community center? Uh, so again, going back to my childhood, if I didn't have that, God knows what I would be doing, right? So um, what does that mean now? Uh, so the advocacy piece is is really big. And then the last uh, objective we have with the BCCA is networking. And um, I kind of had mentioned that we are, uh, we really are on this campaign to support uh, black coaches and uh, black led sport affiliated organizations and their strength in numbers. And I don't think that we've done a good job as, as black Canadians or people of Afro mixed descent to really come together and say, wow, like here is our lobbying power. Uh, now let's go out and get some mass funding that we can allocate to uh, business owners uh, let's go out there and formalize some mentorship um, um, programs uh, where we can provide guidance and, and people can seek wisdom. So we're not always feeling like we have to reinvent the wheel. And what's happened systemically is because people of color don't get those leadership positions, everyone just feels like they have to do it on their own. And you know, that can like that's <laughs> that's something that you could speak to. I mean, even if you stepped out of the sports space, if you looked at um, there's a gentleman named Robert Sutherland, he was the he's the first documented uh, black man, uh, black Canadian that uh, he was he was originally from Jamaica, I believe, that graduated from uh, Queens Law School. And, you know, it's 2021 and we still don't have um, a black um, uh, a law partner. You know, what I mean, like we don't have anyone that is working in one of the biggest uh, the biggest industries and so it just speaks to again like everyone's always had to reinvent the wheel so to say uh, because there haven't been equitable pathways for advancement so when i look in i look at how we can make that impact in sport 
uh, we can be very intentional about creating a database. So now when there's opportunities uh, from U Sports, from the Raptors, from the CFL, hey, here we go, here are some coaches. Uh, can we market those opportunities to these coaches? But then on the ground, on the ground level, at the grassroots level, um, we can also advance um, different types of professional development seminars. Uh, we can also provide some subsidized opportunities for coaches to support athletes, which is usually what, what we're doing anyways. Uh, so that's so that all happens through the networking piece. And um, we, we're an organization that heavily relies on allyship and whether it's from individuals or organizations that are recognizing um, now that, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of room for change and now, now is the time. And so I, I do believe that this is uh, a movement, not a moment. Uh, and so, you know, our goal is to partner with organizations that, that uh, have the same alignment in their visions and their, and their core values about seeing, a, seeing Canada become this um, sport uh, community and sport sector that, that is really, uh, is really equal for all, right? And so that's kind of our challenge. Lee, that was fantastic again. Um, I think just jumping onto this point before I lose it, um, having that platform of sport and how sport has been, it is how many countries like forge their identities and that through their success, whether it's on a uh, international level with the Olympics or FIFA or anything along those lines, or whether it's at the high school level or the grassroots level, the impact that sport has culturally and identities for everybody, it's massive. And to be able to use that platform to have an impact on such a broad scale when we're talking about, say, for example, Black excellence and bringing that to um, people who are either involved at a coaching level, administrative level, or you were a participant and that you were an athlete or your parent getting your kid out to um, a game in that the fallout of that in a positive way is just massive. And it's, it's amazing that there isn't more and hasn't been more celebration of that across the country. Um, and with that, uh, just me saying across the country, have you found that once you started the BCCA that were, were there difficulties or I am not bringing up difficulties or hurdles again, but because Cam Canada is so vast and like, if you go coast to coast, you see such massive difference. Like you being from Ontario now currently living in Nova Scotia versus if you've had any um, experience, say working with like BC or Alberta, do you find like provincially when you move across the country, do you see different, um, uh, themes going on or do you see like okay I'm seeing more celebration of and more support in these areas in these cities and less in these areas I'm not sure if you can speak to that at all I think what we've found through uh, through the lived experiences of people across the country is that um, opportunities uh, and um, different different forms of racial discrimination uh, look differently based on where you live. Like in, in, in Western Canada, for example, we know there's a certain boldness with people as it, as it relates to, uh, as it relates to even saying, you know, like saying things that are racially discriminative or believing in racial stereotypes. Uh, in Quebec, it's a lot different than it is in Ontario. Out East, obviously there's a history of residential schooling 
for African Nova Scotians um, and, um, and forced removal from lands uh, for African Nova Scotians and, and of course indigenous groups across the country. And so uh, it, it, does, it does actually, it, it's, it's really intriguing because it's nothing that like I would have really thought critically about prior to uh, creating the BCCA. Um, but uh, the themes that persist and many of them related to um, uh, to kind of, again, like playing into racial stereotypes about um, who sport coaches are and what they can provide, what their value is, um, to the importance of representation, um, to understanding how uh, if we have uh, participants engage in sport or we have athletes and they don't see themselves represented in leadership positions, typically they're not going to continue in sport. Those kind of themes um, are pretty consistent across the country. And so what you'll find is, again, it's, it's I, I think through this outreach campaign that we have had in, in trying to target um, a lot of black coaches, it's, uh, it's exposed, not, not really exposed, but it's allowed us to understand how your environment, uh, where you're based out of geographically, how your upbringing really impacts your journey through sport. And so no one person's story is alike. Um, and, and, you know, that's what, that's what makes this, uh, that, that's what makes this movement that much more powerful. Uh, and I think once we start getting people together, uh, again, I, I just believe there's a lot of strength in numbers. Um, I think, I think there's a lot of rallying power and lobbying power. Um, and then I also have seen that, you know, sport organizations uh, really want to do better. Sport Canada wants to do better. Um, our PSOs and our NSOs want to do better. Um, our community facilitated uh, organizations want to do better. Uh, and typically, because there aren't, um, in many cases, people of color at all, they're not getting that perspective, they're not getting that lens. And so it's very difficult to execute on an EDNI initiative that is specific to Black people if you have never had Black people at the table. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's been fortunate that uh, with the BCCA, we've been a conduit of sorts because we've been able to put uh, sport organizations in touch with some of our foremost leading um, EDNI experts or some of our sport coaches that have been in that space for a while that can speak to the, the lived experiences and now provide, um, kind of provide an evidence-informed approach on how to move forward. Uh, so, you know, we're hoping to continue to uh, be, be kind of this um, organization that can help facilitate that engagement, but also education, right? And uh, I'm, in, I'm in a university, a Canadian university, right? And so I move up here from Ontario and for some of the girls that I coach as, uh, you know, in within the first two weeks, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of um, racially insensitive comments, uh, gender insensitive comments, you know, I look scary, I talk a certain kind of way. Um, even parents, you know, felt, felt like I was just this really evil person because of who I was. Uh, and so I think if we, if we center uh, a lot of what needs to be done around, in, around education and then take action based on that, then um, we're able to address a lot of those gaps. But, you know, I can't blame Sally, who grew up in uh, rural Haniganesh, who now is meeting for the first time, you know, a black woman that she has to answer to and, you know, and her parents have to have to answer to to an extent. It's 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 kind of awkward. Right. Uh, and so 
Um, I look at kind of the Me Too movement and the gender equity movement with the wage gap, and there was a very intentional process taken. It wasn't like, oh, well, you know, women aren't getting opportunity. So, you know, there's some good hearted people out there that would just give, it was like, you know, we made it policy. It, it was just something you had to do. And now it took away the decision-making. It took away those implicit biases, at least in terms of the behaviors and it provided a standard and, uh, and it's, and it's, it's been amazing to see the last 10 years we've seen we've seen this growth uh not just in not just in canada but in the us and across the country uh we're understanding that that women have been held down to a certain extent and now we're seeing you know glass ceilings break so to say and i think that's the same approach that we should be taking uh for people of color and specifically black people because anti-black racism is so distinct and our disparity of outcomes is much in alignment with our indigenous brothers and sisters and people need to understand that. So from a, from a social cultural uh, perspective, uh, black people um, and the institution of slavery that was orchestrated here in Canada, uh, in so many ways, uh, we, are, we are trying our best uh, to, to keep going. Uh, but you know, we have to start thinking about ways that we can lead through sport. And so that's our slogan, it's, it's leadership through sport and it's, and it's we're stronger together. So happy you said that because um, it, it's a great, first of all, it's a great segue into the next question, but it's also, they go hand in hand. I think when you look at even the states, right? We, they've had a president and a vice president who's been a white male for the past however long. And then Kamala Harris comes in and, and now she's the face or the vice president, but she is the face and even just the idea of her being in power to some people is like, you know, it's like mind blowing because they've never experienced that. And that relating that back to what you were saying about your girls, um, you know, growing up in a small area, they've probably only been coached by males their whole life, uh, much less a female or a female of color. Uh, and now, you know, you're in front of them, right? A female with power of color. Um, and now they need to respond to that. And, just the idea of it. I think just even rapping, it's it's so bad because of, like you said, we're in 2021, um, but just even wrapping uh, your mind around that angle can be a, an adjustment itself. Um, but like you said, I'm just so happy that we're on the right direction. Um, and I just wanted to hear your thoughts on, you know, just recent success of, for example, like Becky Hammond, um, getting that first acting head coach position with the San Antonio Spurs or uh, even outside of basketball, like Kamala Harris uh, as vice president, like you, you touched on it in the last question, but can you just speak on, I guess, your, um, just your feelings towards that? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because when I was younger, I like, I never saw women in any leadership position. So like in the Jane Finch community, like I never saw like I, I had, I had one black teacher in fourth grade who was a female. Um, and outside of that, in the teaching profession, in the coaching profession, in the, uh, in our police, in our local police forces, there was never any women in, in leadership positions. So I, I, it, like, it just wasn't something that I thought about. Uh, and then, you know, as an athlete, as you get older, you start to maybe look at the landscape a little bit more. And my experience was, was a little different having gone to the States and, and played AU, I was able to see a lot of different things. 
Um, but certainly in the Canadian context, again, not a lot of women in leadership positions. And um, I had mentioned in 2012, I had uh, started um, coaching in kind of high performance sport because I had started coaching at Eastern Commerce. I was coaching boys basketball, but then this was like a really great way to to work with a recognizable organization in, in Ontario Basketball Association. But it was a it was the only woman of color that I knew in that space that opened the door for me. Uh, and so I think that's how I see uh, how I see the sport landscape now is I see trailblazers breaking these glass ceilings, and then it's 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 creating more open opportunities uh, for people and. And again, that's come with allyship. You know, there's a there's a woman named Sarah Chan who I think is kind of the director for um, um, basketball without borders uh, in Africa, and uh, Masai kind of handpicked her after seeing her coach at a uh, at a camp in Africa. You know, and it's it's those things that make such a difference. Um, I think it's incredible to have a black uh, vice president in the U.S. and you know, as much as no, the decisions that Camilla makes is not going to impact Canadians directly, maybe indirectly, um, but you can't be where you don't see. And so for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, um, there have been young women who look like me that have never seen themselves represented at that level of, uh, of executive governance in, in, you know, one of the, one of the biggest, most mass producing countries in the world, right? And so uh, yeah, it's it's incredible to see. Um, I love that um, the NBA, um, more recently the NFL, is taking steps towards addressing those gaps. Um, and actually, there's an institute, uh, there's an organization called the Institute of Diversity and Ethics in Sport out of uh, Central Florida. And each year they have a race and a gender report card, and they actually look at the NCAA space. They look at the pro sports space, and they're able to kind of say, hey, here here are the organizations that that are really looking at EDNI and they're making some segue here. And we know statistically that organizations that are more diverse um, actually have a better bottom, uh, they, they have a better um, outcome in terms of their, uh, in terms of their objectives, in terms of what that bottom line, bottom dollar is. So uh, that's the segue that, that we've, we've gone into. And it's been encouraging for me to see uh, here in Canada, the Black North Initiative has really taken off led by Wes Hall, uh, who's a one of the few people of color in the corporate space, and uh, they've got a sports committee headed by, formerly was headed by Donovan Bailey and Isaiah Thomas, uh, the NBA Hall of Famer. Um, but it's just it's incredible to see. Uh, I think many of us are like, let's let's let it happen quicker. But you know, patience, right? Um, we've come a long way in in not even you know, but the better part of a year. Uh, but I but I do think it means great things moving forward. Yeah, I think what you had mentioned before, like people that are able to overcome that fear and that trepidation to like basically be trailblazers and that they find their way to like wherever they are going to be, whatever situation and whatever position they're eventually going to be. And then how then people use their platform and their positions to then all right, I already cut this trail, but like, let's open this up. So the next generation or the next individual, hopefully doesn't have to face the same obstacles. Let's make it a little easier. Let's try and bring more people along. And it doesn't have, even have to be the individual that looks like you. It's all right, if I can get this person on as well, it's who can they affect in their space to hopefully open up their mind to the possibilities of having a more diverse um, group standing around you on that platform. So it's not 
one ethnicity. It's not one solid look. It's all right. It's a painting, a collage of like people of different backgrounds, different cultural and religious backgrounds, whatever it may see, whatever it may be. So I think that's fantastic. And the fact that we are seeing in Canada, Canada tends to have a history and a, uh, and they have a tendency basically to forget about the history in Canada of racism, of injustice, of prejudices, because it's not a good look for Canada. We're known as the nice country around the world. People always talk about Canadians being the nicest, but that's not the history. And anybody who has experienced those injustices will tell you that like, no, it's not all bubble gums and rainbows. Like there is a history here, part of, moving forward as a country together is recognizing it coming to terms with it and then how can we do better moving forward and i would also take that a step further because i mean i can meet you know this afternoon um uh, uh, a young man that is maybe at my age that says hey like i've never experienced like racism right but mm -hmm. like it also ties into the education piece because now we're living in this age where it's systemic uh, racism that is really holding uh, black people down. It's the access to jobs. It's the it's the it's the pay for jobs that they're getting. It's the it's the uh, it's the ability to be put in leadership positions. It's the ability to be valued. It's the ability to not uh, not um, experience uh, uh, racial micro uh, microaggressions. Right. So um, even educating ourselves is is really important because gone are the days of. Um, of scientific racism where we're breaking down a black person's skull and you know like that we know we know that they kind of mm -hmm. dates back to the founding fathers of of, of America um, and we've shifted from um, you know institutional racism in, in some of our segregated schooling you know and because that was a thing and now you know it's it's systemic it's systemic racism it's it's imbued in in our in in our systems in our in our policing systems in our education systems like it's there Right, it's very present, and so I, I think it even requires us as a people to understand, like you mentioned, Reno, the history because there is a history of racism in Canada uh, from its very beginnings, and it's been predicated on that. But then also what it looks like now, uh, that's that's just as uh, that's just as important. Black people have been in Canada for so long. Matthew de Costa um, was, you know, on the coast uh, here in in the Atlantic provinces, dating back to like. 1604 and um, he was uh, the English translator uh, for for the first um, Caucasian people or white people European people that came to Canada and he was fluent in in indigenous uh, tongue and languages he was fluent in French he was fluent in in Spain sorry in, in in Spanish and so you know what does that mean do we think that he would he really he really was the first well, of course not he, he probably was a byproduct of people that had been living here even longer. And so uh, there's not that acknowledgement because now it changes how we're thinking about the history of, uh, of racism, of, of anti-Black racism in all its forms. Um, and you know, my um, immigration has, has uh, led a lot of people of color as well to immigrate into Canada. Uh, but, but again, it, we've come in and we're still in this level where we're boxed as you know, Black people, people of Afro-Canadian descent or maybe newly landed immigrants. Um, so it just requires us to look at things in a non-binary kind of lens. Like it's either this or it's that. No, it's, it's very nuanced, right? And um, it requires like a lot of um, education and detail and intentionality 
to address to address these kind of gaps. So I'm I'm very happy to see that you know our Canadian our Canadian Heritage Department is 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 looking at that way of of leading uh, through the sport capacity. There's like a number of different opportunities that have come up. Um, how how those opportunities have been. Um, I mean, I, how actually they're they're being executed on is is a, I think another question, but it just speaks to hey, like this is a priority now, and I think a lot of organizations, a lot of sport organizations are thinking about that too. Um, something you had uh, said in terms of like immigrants we're seeing coming to Canada now, and like Canada is if we go coast to coast, it's one of the most diverse countries in the world, of course. Um, and then with that, say when we have generations upon generations, just an example of um, like Indian, like people of Indian descent, uh, like East Indian descent. Um, and now we see um, uh, the hockey coverage, sorry, um, Punjabi hockey coverage. Mm -hmm. um, just seeing that growth. Okay, now like a sport that is predominantly white but we have a population now that has been here for X amount of generations, has a lot of history in say Toronto, Ontario, in that area, and now has ingrained themselves into the culture, into Canada's history. And then moving forward, it's nice to see that growth and that progress. And once again, bringing it back to sport, like you had, sport is such a great vehicle for that change and for us to bridge those gaps and to hopefully climb some of those hills so yeah, hopefully things just continue and I think basketball just that's been our primary focus of course just with your background and Kevin yours as well but basketball really when you look at that like geographic fields or that ethnic geography it's one of the most diverse sports when you look at that and say soccer like you look out on the court you look out on the field and it's to collage once again like I said before and that's fantastic to see it's now let's take that off the field as well though off the court ingrain that into our communities ingrain that into our thought processes try and move past some of this stuff so yeah this is I, I love this conversation this is fantastic it opens up a lot of interesting avenues for uh, things to take right now um Kevin did you uh, have any other questions um yeah uh so Let's go into um, your love for coaching, because obviously you, obviously you played, and obviously you have a strong basketball background. But I think it's one thing to play, and it's one thing to teach, uh, and not only teach basketball, but te you're, now you're teaching like movement, like healthy living, um, uh, physical literacy. So there's so much that comes with with teaching, like teaching the game of basketball. But um, I guess what fueled your love for teaching physical literacy and movement um and how does that how does that translate into how you connect with your girls sure yeah i guess um early on in my childhood like i really i had a lot of excess energy that i that i always needed to to get off and so naturally we played basketball and soccer because those are the cheapest sports to play so we'll be at recess and we'll use like our jackets or our backpacks for the goal for the goals for soccer and then you know, we have like this makeshift like rim that is attached to our school wall. And then that was like, you know, in our minds we were these NBA players. Um, but I just, I love the feeling of, of working hard, like burning off some lactic acid. I, I just always have been uh, kind of, a, you know, like 
some people just hate being tired and I, I just, I really like the feeling it, it always gave me a sense of accomplishment. Like, okay, I know I'm working because I'm like sweating profusely and doing those things. Um, and I, you know, I, I was someone that I guess like the cliche, like I lived in the gym. Like if I wasn't in the library, I was in the gym. If I wasn't in the gym, I was in the library. And part of that was because my home circumstances weren't great. So by, by default, I was usually getting really good grades or, or getting my jump shot a little bit better. Uh, now as a sport coach, uh, I find myself um, tasked to one, continue to be better day to day as, uh, as someone that is very influential to the young men and the young women that I work with. Uh, but then also as a, so here at St. FX, I teach in our human kinetics department and I teach in the skills component. So that is, it's, it's quite literally um, movement. And so um, it's, it's just allowed me to think of some big picture ideas related to like prehab and avoiding injuries, um, being in the women's basketball space as well, uh, and being cognizant of, of, you know, what are those injuries that players are susceptible to, usually around kind of um, with young women, like hips are getting bigger in their teenage years, susceptible to more knee injuries, um, and thinking about my own sport journey and how, you know, I was always big on kind of body weight movement and and single leg balancing. And so I guess part of, part of what I'm trying to say is I've, I'm, I'm very big on PD and getting better in that space, but I'm always thinking about incorporating it into my X's and O's as well. So I don't really believe in the whole, like throw the ball out and let them play. I think that's something, I think, I think that is a form of development, um, but, but I have a lot of, um, yeah, I take a lot of intention maybe with how we structure our practices and how I structure my workouts to make sure we're addressing those deficiencies. Now through Canleads uh, over the last seven or eight years, I've been able to do a lot of different skill development. And so um, as much as I would be contracted out to do, you know, you know, my kid wants to improve ball handling or shooting uh, or their confidence, I'm, you know, I would always do a, uh, I called it like a Canleads assessment. Where we, where we would test like their lateral ability, their flexibility, um, you know, can they jump higher off one leg than another? And so it's, it's funny because I, I almost got my, uh, what's it called, P, PST or physical training certification, PTC, whatever that's called. Uh, but but I, would, I would use that book and I would start incorporating things into our team warmups. I would start incorporating things into what we did after we were done uh, off the court. Uh, and I think it has helped me become a better coach uh, just because I can, I can kind of spot those. Um, uh, and I don't really like using the word deficiency, but just those commonalities, uh, you know, for, for a specific player and kind of look at how we can improve. Now I'm, I'm big on, like, we're big into the, like every day you can get 1% better. Uh, that's our kind of pace mentality. That's our Kaizen mentality. Uh, and so, you know, just little ways that you can challenge your body or teach your body new things or trick your body that can help you uh, to become a better athlete or that can help you to become um, or to work on more skills that translate to the game. So I'm, I'm really intrigued, of, you know, in that part. So, for example, we just started, uh, we just had our third day of practice, right? And it looks really bad because most kids have been in quarantine for two weeks. So we knew it would look really bad, but instead of just doing a traditional five, you know, five minute warm up. we've kind of got these three stations. So one is geared towards um, really like opening our hip flexors, like a lot of isometric um, stretching stuff. You know, you throw in a little bit dynamic. We have a station that is 
uh, we've got you know four or five exercises that um, that we take the girls through, and we kind of switch it up each day just to keep keep them engaged, but just working on each major muscle group, and then you know in the middle of the court, so that's like on the baseline, on the sideline. In the middle of the court, we have them playing um, spike ball and working on the hand-eye coordination, and so that's kind of like the first 15 minutes of our practice, and then we're like, cool, now let's get down to business. And so I find like we get a lot more bang out of our buck that way. Uh, it actually does get their bodies engaged. Um, for 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 women in particular, like the social emotional is really big. So in those kind of um, setups, they can also do a little bit of this uh, without coach being like, "What are you doing? Like, stay focused." You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm always constantly thinking about how can we implement some prehab or some um, um, strength uh, strength strengthening into their uh, into their major muscle groups, you know, while we're also focused on the very basketball specific parts. Yeah, we, I think you touched on something very interesting, like everything you're describing, it's, it's like when we're talking healthcare, say for Kevin and I as a physiotherapist, we talk about, all right, you're treating the whole patient and then you're talking about treating the whole athlete. It's not just the physical side, it's the mental side, it's the emotional aspect of things. All right, there's time for team uh, teammate interaction during the warm up. Okay, we're working on basketball specific skills, but we're getting the mental uh, toughness or the mental strength going on as well, and that emotional uh, toughness and strength uh, developing as well. And that prehab thing. Uh, it's fantastic your education background, teaching that currently, and then also being in the coaching capacity, because you're and you loving research, you're able to take like this is what the current research says. This is the most applicable stuff for our athletes to ensure that we're looking at all aspects of the game and how to make it. You had didn't want to use the word deficiencies, but it sounds like you're making them more well-rounded in all aspects of the game as well as their personal lives and development because even at varsity level university level still we're talking young young people because 20 21 22 even 23 24 now is not what it was 50 years ago right so it's having that nature versus nurture argument of bringing that and the awareness piece is is big too you know like if i have a young woman that struggles to make, you know, her left-handed layups. And I'm like, okay, well, take a look at this. You can't balance on your right knee as long as you can balance on your left. So why do you think, you know, you have difficulty mm -hmm. making a left-hand layup. So some things are a rep thing. Like, you know, you definitely build confidence and experience through the reps and you can add different constraints, guided defender, put them in an advantage, disadvantage. Um, but but I, I just really like taking those steps back as opposed to taking those steps forward. and. Um, yeah, it's really it's it's really cool to see how there's just a lot of overlap. Like even like teaching a technical skill like shooting. Like I'm really good at teaching shooting, um, and a lot of so for example, 85% of basketball players let's say are right-handed, right? But typically because they don't engage this left hand, there's a lot of this kind of stuff going on. And so, you know, you're either really good at shooting, or many of you are not that good, but you can become a better shooter, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm always I'm constantly um, trying to encourage my athletes to let them know you can improve. You just have to commit to knowing it's going to happen incrementally and it's going to happen because you are being intentional. So let's learn how to engage that off arm. Let's learn how to hold that hand straight and, and get a clean shot off of it. 
right? And so for many of them, like I've had not just 18 year olds, I've worked with some of our national team players that have never really thought about that, you know? And I'm like, listen, your left hand is doing way too much because you're not actually, you know, flexing your bicep and making sure that it's straight and engaging in, you know? And so when you, when you start talking to them like that, they're, then you kind of see their, you know, the wheels kind of moving. And then once you're intentional about something, you, you really start to understand the agency and the control that you do have. You know, uh, another really good example, because um, I love offense, I love working on offense, but um, is, you know, with a lot of girls, for example, when a lot of girls shoot, the shot is flat because they don't get a lot of their legs in it and, you know, they don't really work on their athleticism. So one of the, um, one of the error detections that I give them is the front rim. I'm like, you know, if you hit the front rim, like, and my coach used to tell me this all the time, Coach Joe, he used to say, Lee, like, never hit the front rim. Like, you hit the front rim, it just looks like you're not strong enough. Like, do anything. But if you're going to miss, don't hit the front rim. You got to get it up, right? And so those are the things that I talk to my girls about. And then now they're like, okay, well, how do I get, like, I don't know, I just can't. And I said, well, have you thought about how you're stepping into it and creating that force, right? Is it a one-two step? Is it a, is it you're stepping off the ground and you're really bouncing up? You know, you can't just walk into your shot where's the energy that you're that you're that you're starting to go into your shot and so I, I really break it down on a technical level um as a I guess I consider myself a player's coach because I'm trying to always connect with them and being a little bit younger as well it's a little it's it's easier for for me to kind of use analogies that that they understand like you know before you'd say telephone booth to shoot that's not really relevant now because these kids don't know what a telephone booth is um it's really exciting. Uh, and then the mental part of it, uh, I think is big as well. Uh, I think, you know, we've just got a generation that, you know, and to no fault of their own, like you, like you guys mentioned, like things are just different now. So, um, the, the belief in self, the self-confidence is a big one, mindfulness and just being able to focus on one person talking for 24 seconds is a challenge for, for many people. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just feel like as a sport coach, it's not that I have to do all of these things. I get to do all of these things. Um, and so uh, we talk a lot about uh, just having a growth mindset. Um, you know, typically for girls as well, it's, it's very difficult for them to critique one another. You know, I had, we had after our second practice the other day, um, at the end of practices, we do a very quick debrief. And, you know, we, we have this thing called spotlight and reflections. So spotlight is when you shout someone out. So of course we're standing there for two and a half minutes and the girls are all spotlighting each other. Well, you did exactly this. And I like that. Well, you did exactly that. And it made me more aware. Well, you did exactly that. And it was just, it helped us win, you know? And then I'm like, okay, like reflections, like let's get some, let's give some critical feedback and information to people. Right. Cause I'm like, it's not criticism. It's feedback that's going to help you get better. And so we went from like 15 spotlights to like four, maybe critical reflections right and uh that are that you know yeah i think uh you know this is you know for you steph but really for me too or you know for our blue team generally and i'm like think about it guys like are we really are we gonna get better for just cheerleading um and and we're saying there's not opportunities for growth but we know through tracking and practice that we had this amount of live ball turnovers we know that there's uh a number of you that that you know struggle with um how you're deciding to go up at the basket. And I said, so, you know, it's it just, it's a difference maker. And again, that has nothing to do with one person shooting a free throw, but it has everything to do with the growth of the team. It has everything to do with growing this, right? And understanding what it does mean to participate in high performance sport and to want to win. 
um, you know, and then we haven't had games this year, of course, but what typically happens is there's a lot of self cheerleading and not wanting to get in anything that is, you know, kind of conflicty. Uh, and then you get in games and it's halftime and girls are yelling at each other. Right. And then, and then coaches walk in and it's like, there's a reason why you guys are, 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 you guys feel like this is because you weren't willing to be honest with each other and practice It's because you weren't willing to sit on that girl's right hand when we worked on our drills. And so, because you would allow her to go to her right, but our opponents don't think like that. <laughs> our opponents aren't doing that. So, um, so this year has been a really interesting one because we've taken the time that has gone towards game planning and scouting. And we've really um, looked in the mirror a lot and focused more on playing together as a team, building our fundamental skills. And then, uh, as I mentioned, working on, on a lot of functional mobility that translates to the game. Awesome. And um, for anyone who's listening or will listen to this has almost an hour of obviously <laughs> like um, just an hour of, of education and just an, an awareness. I think anyone who listens to this will, if, if they'll take away anything, it's just an awareness of um, everything that we're discussing, whether it's equality, whether it's through um, even to your most recent point of recognizing people, not spotlighting people uh, superficially, but really critically um, evaluating the situation and that person. And I think that just ties into everything we're talking about with um, not just looking at Canadians' history superficially and saying, you know, we're all good, we're at a better place, blah, blah, blah. It's really diving deep into, okay, who um, who, and what were we uh, at this point? Who and what are we now? And who and what do we need to be in the future? So I think everything just really, really mixes as well. And as Reno said, I'm loving the conversation. Um, before we wrap up, just want to get an idea of, for any coaches in Canada who want to get, get involved with the BCCA, um, how can they get involved? Um, and where can they find you as well, both for BCCA and for Canleys? Absolutely. If you are, um, if you are a coach that is Black, um, we definitely want to know where you are, where you're located. Uh, our website is www.thebcca.com. Uh, right under memberships, you just click that and uh, you can register. It's a free, it's a free registration form. And again, uh, owing to, to just how important strength in numbers is, we want to know how we can support and our Black coaches. Now, as, uh, as we can, we're also going to advocate for uh, all coaches of color. We're going to advocate for athletes as well. Um, and any organizations that are advocating for racial justice. And so if you're a parent, if you're a community member, if you are a retired coach and you wanna be part of this movement, we want you as part of our community. Uh, you can also find us on our social media handles on Twitter and Instagram, it's BCC underscore association. Awesome. And then for candidates, um, how can they find you? How can they get involved? Um, I know it's COVID now, but do you have anything uh, in the near future that they can look forward to? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully coming out of COVID, we could get back to in-person, uh, but we have a breakfast club program uh, that is uh, geared for uh, really um, all ages uh, for uh, people who, who want to improve their basketball skills, but also uh, their functional mobility and their strength uh, so that it can translate on the court. Uh, you can find us on www.canleads.ca 
The one thing I will also mention is if you are a young woman that is hoping to be recruited in any capacity uh, in the basketball space, we also are currently offering uh, recruitment flyers uh, that outline kind of who you are as a player, what your statistics are, uh, so that it's easier for coaches uh, at the university and college level uh, to see you. And so that's something that we're able to offer right now. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at canlinks underscore sports. That's awesome. And and send me that flyer because I'm definitely going to pitch it out and promote it as a, as a great service because that's awesome. I think one question uh, I often get is, you know, what should I be telling these coaches? Like when I, when I connect with them or what are they looking for? Um, so no, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, a hundred percent. The recruitment consulting, I think is, is really important. And especially because we're not necessarily in that, in that space, right? Like for a lot of families and, and kids, it's usually their first time going through the process. Uh, and then again, it's just so different in the American context. Uh, but understanding what you're up against, understanding where those gaps are, understanding fit versus um, versus your wish list of where you'd want to play. Um, that's it's it's an interesting one. Uh, but we do have uh, kind of uh, sport coaches at all levels, former NCAA players. Uh, between myself and a few members of our team, we have a, a, a we have Coach LT who's doing a lot of um, the film breakdown as as well as recruitment consulting as well. Uh, so. Yeah, any, any young women that are wondering what that process looks like, or even families, I know for parents, sometimes they're looking for guidance. Um, yeah, we're more than happy to help in that capacity as well. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Reno, did you have anything else before we finish up? Oh, we just wanted to thank you so much for uh, coming to speak to with us today. Um, this has been fantastic, um, very educational. I'm sure everybody who uh, is able to watch uh, this episode is going to take away a lot and hopefully we can get this out to a lot of young athletes as well because I think they would love hearing a lot of the stuff you had to say um, in terms of directions for them potentially ways to get involved also strategies and things to look at for themselves in their own lives in their sports and just moving forward kind of thing so yeah once again just thank you so much for coming to speak to us today it's been great Thank you, Reno and Kevin. And I wish you guys the best of luck with the movement effect. Any way that the BCCA can help amplify your platform or can lead sports, let me know as well. Uh, God bless you. You guys are you guys are change agents. So keep going. Great. Thank you so much, Lee. Cheers. All right, everybody, that is the uh, second episode of the movement effect. Stay tuned for future episodes. Mm -hmm.